Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Do you remember where you were when Elvis died? He certainly was an iconic performer who left us too soon. His talent and charisma leave a lasting impression on a number of Native American fans, including some who weren't even born during his lifetime. Some Native performers invoke his likeness and take the stage in tribute. They're also called Elvis impersonators. On the 45th anniversary of his death, we celebrate Elvis and hear from his Native fans. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A lawsuit initiated by the Lower Brule Tribe against Lyman County in South Dakota could be complicated by a recent case on the U.S. Supreme Court's emergency docket. Also referred to as the shadow docket, it allows justices to resolve an issue temporarily until a case can have a full hearing. In early 2022, Justice Brett Kavanaugh wrote an explanation for why he sided with the majority to state a lower court ruling in an Alabama voting rights case. In his writing, he raised the bar for plaintiffs claiming violations of the Voting Rights Act. Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Elena Kagan each wrote a dissent. One of the lawyers for Lower Brule says the authority of these writings is a debate for legal scholars. But she says even under Kavanaugh's more stringent test for a voting rights challenge, the tribe is on solid ground. Victoria Wicks has more. Samantha Kelty is a staff attorney with the Native American Rights Fund. She represents Lower Brule in its attempt to get Lyman County to change its districting in time for the November 2022 election. Kelty says Justice Kavanaugh's decision demands that voting rights plaintiffs seeking an injunction must be able to prove that the merits are clear-cut in their favor. What's not clear is whether that demand has standing to replace the previous standard that plaintiffs prove they're likely to succeed on the merits. Kelty said she is thankful that Federal District Judge Roberto Lang confirmed in his August 11th order that the Lower Brule Tribe meets those stricter standards. In his order, Judge Lang gave Lyman County seven days to come up with a more equitable districting plan to be put in place by November, rather than relying on the old single district plan that dilutes the vote of tribal members. Samantha Kelty says it's not unreasonable to expect the county to implement the two-district plan it proposed as a compromise, and that has, at least for now, been approved by the tribe. And the reason for that was because the county had already drawn up the two-district plan. Um, they had already finalized the map. You know, they had already voted on it and decided that that was a plan that they liked. Lyman County officials testified at a hearing last month that they would not be able to adjust voting software and confirm tribal addresses in time to redistrict and print ballots. But Judge Lang said in his order that using the previous single district plan violates federal law. For National Native News, I'm Victoria Wicks in Rapid City, South Dakota. The Navajo Nation recently declared a state of emergency following heavy flooding. Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports. The Navajo Commission on Emergency Management recently made the declaration after flash flooding impacted homes and roadways. According to Navajo President Jonathan Nez's office, the move activates emergency plans and will allow local chapters to access additional resources for recovery. Nez says emergency response personnel have been out in communities seven days a week and health workers 
workers have been going door-to-door, providing support for elderly residents and those with health conditions. July and August are some of the wettest months in the southwest and for the 27,000-square-mile reservation that covers parts of northern Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff. The Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences has apologized to Sasheen Littlefeather for the abuse she faced at the 45th Academy Awards. Littlefeather stood on stage at the 1973 Awards, refusing the Oscar on behalf of Marlon Brando in recognition of the mistreatment and misrepresentation of Native Americans by the film industry. In a statement of reconciliation in June, the Academy apologized and acknowledged the emotional burden she faced and the cost to her career. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Colorado Plateau Foundation, supporting Native-led initiatives protecting lands, waters, and cultures by building networks, community, and organizational capacity. Proposals accepted through September 1st at coloradoplateaufoundation.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Elvis Presley is one of the most iconic figures in 20th century pop culture. His legacy carries on with the release of a new biographical film in theaters right now. And he died on this date in 1977. Elvis starred in two films in the 1960s where he played Native characters. The Los Angeles Indian Tribal Council gifted him a headdress for what they said was a positive portrayal of a Native person. His lasting appeal includes many Native people who consider themselves fans. There are also more than a few Native people who collect Elvis music and memorabilia, and of course, Native people are among the many who perform his music on stage in tribute to the king of rock and roll. We'll hear from Native Elvis tribute artists and a historian about the music and life of Elvis Presley, but we also want to hear from you, our listeners. Are you an Elvis fan, or do you think he was a little over the top? Do you or Grandma have a black velvet Elvis poster on the living room wall? We want to hear about it. 1-800-996-2848. Once again, that number is 1-800-996-2848. First up on our show today, we have an Elvis tribute artist from up in Winnipeg, Canada. His name is Jerry Ojibwe Elvis Barrett. He's a musician, stand-up comedian, veteran radio personality, and of course, an Elvis tribute artist. He's from the Saugeen First Nation. Jerry, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, Sean. It's wonderful to be here. Chimigwitch and Chimigwitch. Jerry, I want to ask you right off the bat, do you remember the day Elvis passed? It was a sad day for me. <laughs> a sad day is all for all Elvis fans. Yeah, it was, uh, I was 16 years old, and I was just coming, uh, walking home from 
I guess, a, a baseball game or something, and someone shouted uh, from their doorstep, Hey, Jerry, did you hear? Elvis Presley just passed away. I'm like, oh, no. And I ran home to tune, on, <laughs> tune in the news, and sure enough, there it was. I couldn't believe it, and uh, it was just a very somber you know, evening after that as I, I thought about him. I was about nine years old. I remember they, they broke into the television shows and all the networks just showed Elvis tribute videos and talked about him all night long. It was, and people were crying. It was devastating. Well, Jerry, tell me more about folks up in Canada. Are they big fans of Elvis? <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we certainly are. Uh, I've been a fan since I was a little kid. And uh, once I went into stand-up comedy, I, I developed this, uh, this uh, character, Ojibwe Elvis. But uh, I take it deadly serious, and, and I've toured all the First Nations, and Métis communities, and, and uh, been to the Collingwood Elvis Festival. But what I like about uh, taking my show to the uh, to the reserves are uh, are the elders. Um, Elvis, you know, um, was their was their uh, heartthrob, was their teen sensation when they were coming up through the years. So <clears throat> I try to do the best that I can portraying uh, my tribute to Elvis. And, uh, you know, they, they know that I'm not Elvis, but the music and, I, you know, the music tracks that I sing to live and the band, I have a band called Vegas Thunder. Um, we try to recreate the Elvis experience as best we can for the, uh, for the elders. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's awesome to see how they react. You know, some songs just make them, you know, weep almost with, uh, with memories. And, and uh, yeah, so it's very special. Now, how long have you been doing your show? Uh, it's hard to say, you know, <laughs> because I was doing uh, stand-up comedy, I guess, in the late 90s, and uh, I touched on, I asked the audience one night uh, at the end of a big uh, corporate event that I was uh, doing stand-up comedy at, I said, how many people here uh, like the music of Elvis Presley? Well, the whole crowd went crazy, you know, it was an indigenous conference that I was performing at, and I realized, aha, I've got something here, so I, I developed my uh, full Elvis show after that. So yeah, so it's been since the late 90s. And tell us more about what you do on stage. What what songs do you sing by Elvis? Uh, well, you know, it's uh, if you you know Elvis fans know that he walked on stage uh, to you know two thousand and one the Space Odyssey music. I do that, but uh, and then into CC Rider, Don't Be Cruel. We do uh, uh, a real rockin' version of Johnny Be Good, and then we do uh, you know um, a lot of the standards. But the uh, the big songs are in the ghetto. Um, I don't know about other indigenous communities, but uh, here in Winnipeg, uh, we have a large uh, urban native population, and with that comes comes violence and addictions and whatnot. So there's always some tragic story in the news on a weekly basis. So <clears throat> singing in the ghetto, uh, you know, is, is it touches a lot of hearts up here, and uh, it seems to be one of the, one of the big songs. Um, you know, and and then you do you know the you you pull out of that and you do Viva Las Vegas and Hound Dog and stuff, and Don't Cry Daddy is a big one as well. I call it my baby daddy song. But then, <laughs> then we've got, uh, you know, the standard. I, I love watching people dance because when we sing uh, Can't Help Falling in Love with You, uh, elders will get up and, uh, and dance. And it's, it's amazing to see what his mu how his music has touched and how uh, people still react to it today. People in, in wheelchairs get up and, and, and dance, you know, with, with a nurse or with somebody somebody out there so it, it's very powerful nearly 50 years and he's still just as big as ever and, and now this new movie coming out it's just gonna be a whole new wave of interest and enthusiasm and 
Jared, do you focus more on the the later years, the Las Vegas era Elvis, or, or do you do some of the old early stuff too? And that early routine went back in the fifties when he was just starting out. Right. Well, I just ordered a brand new Elvis suit, and these suits, I know the other guys will know, they're like two thousand dollars per. And I just got one in last night, and it's all bought and paid for, but it uh, doesn't fit. Co- my COVID weight has kind of packed, <laughs> so I got to get it re- readjusted. So I'm standing on stage in a uh, white jumpsuit. So it's, it's kind of like the '70s, you know, 1975, '76 era that I try to represent. But it's kind of like a, a Broadway show, in as much as I talk about Elvis's career, and and so while I'm I'm singing. Uh, the, the, the concert songs that he would do. I'm also telling the backstory to um, him working in Sun, in Sun, uh, at Sun Studios with Sam Phillips, and then, I'll, you know, 1954, 55, and then I'll sing When My Blue Moon uh, Turns to Gold Again, and then I'll tell the backstory to Memphis, Tennessee, and how Johnny Rivers, uh, you know, was, uh, had given, was given the honor of hearing a, a rough demo by Elvis at Graceland at a party, and then Johnny Rivers decided to record it before Elvis released his version. And then we sing Memphis, Tennessee, the Elvis version. So it's, there's a story. You know, I tell Elvis's story throughout, throughout my show. And, and uh, you know, so it is a, it's not just the music, but it is also uh, re- recalling the memories of his life. How far have you traveled for your show? You know what? Uh, the, the, big, the biggest show, I got a call from uh, Barack Obama's uh, entertainment uh, group. They, he had been reelected in 2013, and they'd seen some of my stuff on the internet, and they uh, called me and said, hey, why don't you come down to Washington, D.C. and play at uh, Barack Obama's inaugural ball? And uh, I said, sure, you know. Uh, so my wife and I, they, they, they paid for us to come down there, and it was a big black tie event, and uh, it, was, it was a very, you know, one of the biggest shows that I've ever uh, performed at, and uh, it was a thousand dollars a ticket to get in. I couldn't even afford to go to my own show, but there <laughs> I was, and we had uh, we had a wonderful time. And so that would be the biggest. But I've been all all across Canada, up into the up into the Arctic, and a lot of the remote communities, you know, where they don't where the youth, that would be the last place that you would expect to see a you know a really serious uh, Elvis tribute show you know, in a remote community that takes me five airplane rides to, to arrive at because, you know, next stop, the Arctic Ocean or Russia. But there I am in their community hall, moving and shaking my hips. Well, that's the spirit of Elvis, though, right? Taking care of business in a flash and traveling where the show needs to be. We're speaking with Jerry Ojibwe Elvis Barrett. He's up in Winnipeg, Canada. And we've already got a caller on the line, Ray, listening in Cheyenne River, South Dakota. Ray, hello. Hey, Ray. I guess you look. Are you there? I sure am, Ray. All right. So you got to talk about it. the king, huh? That's good. King of, yeah, the king of All rock right. and roll. So we're live right now? Cool. Yeah, yeah. You're on the air, Ray. All right. Hey, I was living in Los Angeles then, right? I said, well, I better make it home. So I made it home. Said, okay, what day was that? This, this time that he made he died, right? Today? Yes. 45 yeah, years ago. Yeah, because I came back over here. I was hanging around for about a week, and I knew a lot of people that, you know, listened to his music over there. I stayed with him, and I was sitting over here and here. Night before, okay. Dreams. <laughs> I said, all right, you guys, dreams will tell you things. Okay, check this one out. <laughs> I couldn't even, I was standing there going, is this for real? And here, where I'm standing right now, I peeked out. 
It's all orange. Orange, peanut, but of yellow, white. And here's a big old good little cloud scene, a big one. And here, somebody's walking from way over there, walking closer and closer. And here, when they're closer, God, Elvis has seen. <laughs> I said, what? What's going on here? Is that him? Those are his songs. You know, gospel songs. <laughs> I was going, geez, I heard those when I was a kid. And here, the closer he got, it was his dad, <laughs> Presley. He goes, he nodded. All he did was nodded and turned towards the left, and I woke up. Holy. Next day, I heard the news. Mm-hmm. I was dying. I mean, oh this was a dream, right? I was going, well, I better spill it out, you know. Can't hold stuff like that forever, right? So I'm sitting here. I don't want to tell that because you whenever I bring something back like that back in the 70s, you gotta have a cup of coffee. Calm down, calm down. <laughs> okay, Ray. Ray, thanks for calling in with that that story, a vision, a dream of Elvis Presley. Wow, it's fascinating. Folks, we want to hear from other people that are fans of Elvis. Maybe you met Elvis. Maybe you had a chance to see one of his concerts. I don't know, but give us a call. We want to hear from you. 1-800-996-2848. We are talking about the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, died today. August 16th, 1977, 45 years to the day. Elvis Presley, 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call. More Elvis guests, more conversation coming up on the other side of this break. Salmon runs in Alaska are at both extremes. Bristol Bay fisheries are flush while the Yukon River sockeye harvest has crashed. And a federal court decision is putting Southeast Alaska commercial harvests in limbo. We'll get the new and ever-changing Alaska salmon picture. That's on the next Native America Calling. Support by the Institute of American Indian Arts, the birthplace of contemporary Indigenous American art, and the educational home for esteemed and innovative artists, writers, filmmakers, performers, and leaders, making history since 1962. Accredited by the Higher Learning Commission, IAIA offers undergraduate degrees, graduate degrees, and certificates. Info on IAIA's 60th and the IAIA Museum of Contemporary Native Arts 50th anniversaries at iaia.edu. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about Elvis Presley today on the 45th anniversary of his death. But we also want to hear from our listeners. Call in with your Elvis story. What does his music mean to you? Call us at 1-800-996-2848. You can also leave a comment on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Our handle is 180099-NATIVE. Elvis fans, I'm talking to you. Give us a holler. We want to hear from you right away. Give us a call. Let's also hear from a healthcare worker in Australia who has a tribute Elvis act. Len Connolly has been performing Elvis songs on stage for at least a dozen years and is a regular at the Parks Elvis Festival. He talked to me earlier from his home in New South Wales. I'm in a little town called Tumut in New South Wales, Australia. 
uh, so I'm one of the First Nations people. Um, my tribe is Wiradjuri. We're called Wiradjuri people. In New South Wales, we're called Koori people. And, um, yeah, so I'm a Wiradjuri man. And how long have you been singing Elvis songs and performing? I've been performing Elvis songs. I was singing Elvis before I went to school. I um, The teacher would ask me to sing Teddy Bear to the class, so I can sing. You can imagine a little five-year-old, six-year-old kid shaking legs singing Teddy Bear, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to, to the classes. Well, but must have but been who would big... have thought? You know, <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought where I am now? Lynn, is Elvis popular among Aboriginal communities in Australia? Yeah, very popular. You all sort of grew up listening to Elvis. Very popular in the Aboriginal community, in the Koori community in Australia, right across the right across Australia. Yeah, the Aboriginal people like a lot of country music too, as well from over the states. And that, but Elvis Presley is one of the big ones that everyone loves. Now you have a full time career in healthcare, and you're an Elvis tribute performer. That's got to be a lot to balance. How often do you perform? I perform most weekends. I had a string of shows there a while back. It's cut. It's cooled down a little bit now, which is good. Ever since I've gone to Dubai, I went to Dubai early in the year um, and sung at the uh, Australian Pavilion at the World Expo in Dubai. And uh, that was in March of this year. And that was for a week as Elvis. So that was great. And I was a big star over there. <laughs> you performed as Elvis in Dubai. Is that the farthest you've traveled for a show? Yeah, that's it. That's my international status. That's as far as I've gone as, you know, that's when I've become an international artist. And um, yeah. But I'd like to travel again. I'd like to maybe one come to the States, you know, one day. We'd love to have you. You you definitely we'll we'll get you gigs all over the all over Native America. I'm sure all the communities <laughs> would love to have you come out and meet you. Yeah. Len, another thing I want to compliment you on is unlike some other Elvis performers, you are rocking a full head of real hair. Is the Pompadour your daily do even when you're not on stage? Yeah, yeah, that you, you're right. I, it is my real hair and my real sideburns. A lot of them wear wigs and stuff, you know, and uh, and it is hard because sometimes I I um I can't get away from them. I am a big celebrity in my own town. I can't get away from the um Elvis halo, Elvis, Elvis this, Elvis that, you know. And sometimes I'd like to be Len Connolly. Sometimes I'd like to just get to cut it all off, but I can't do that because if a show comes up, you know, someone wants me to do a show, or then I've got to go off and do shows. So I've got to have the hair. Len, you have a family. You have a teenage daughter, as I understand. What does she think yep. about you performing? Oh, she she loves me performing. She's a beautiful girl. She loves me performing. She dances and sings, and she knows all the words to all the backup, you know, the backup words to the songs that I sing in my show. And yeah, so she gets up and has a dance with me every now and again. I call her up on stage, and you know, she might give me a scarf to put around my neck to, to you know, to hand out to the people, and yeah. Now you specialize in the Las Vegas era, Elvis. Do you some do you do some of the martial arts moves on stage as well? Not some some of them, not much. I don't uh, I don't want to pull a hamstring. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis has been gone for almost fifty years. Why do you think his legacy remains so strong, even among younger generations? I think because of the festivals that we do have, um, and festivals all around the world. I think uh, they're getting young kids. Uh, I think they like the way he moved. And I think with the new movie just being released, I think it's just going to skyrocket again. I'm just curious if, if this were to really blow up for you or you were to continue to get these gigs and do these shows, would you ever consider doing this full time? 
Yeah, I would. Um, I work, a, as you know, I work as a health worker five days a week. And um, I got asked to go to, um, a few years ago, I got asked to go over to um, compete in a professional ETA competition in British Columbia and also in New Zealand. I have a passport now, at least, so I might be able to, I would love to come to the States one day and, and just do a tour of, for the Indigenous people over there and for everyone, really. That's Len Connolly, a well-known Aboriginal Elvis tribute performer from Australia. We've got another guest on the line right now from the Black Hills in South Dakota, Professor Donovan Sprague. He's a professor of history at Sheridan College, a musician and Elvis aficionado. He is Cheyenne River Sioux. Donovan, welcome back to Native America Calling. Oh, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Donovan, Elvis fever all over Native America, indigenous communities around the world. People love him. What do you make of it? Well, I uh, I just grew up with Elvis, so he's been a part of my life uh, since I was born, practically. So um, I first uh, remember him at about the age of three years old, and I can actually, you know, remember that far back of being on him being on the Ed Sullivan show, and we just got uh, television. And then both of my sisters grew up in the 1950s. One graduated in 1959 and one in 1962. And, and I came way later, but um, they gave me all of their music uh, when they left, you know, got married. So I had all these uh, Elvis records and picture sleeves, and I had these adorned all over my room and a basement uh, where I had, uh, you know, turntable and all this stuff. And so eventually, you know, it, it grew like today to like over a thousand records is what I mainly specialize with Elvis and from different countries. So, you know, obviously he didn't have 1000 different releases. So um, this includes a lot of, um, you know, foreign releases, which were different. And so I have, uh, I'm also a musician. I play, I've played all my life, you know, so I do have that in common with the other uh, per, uh, people who spoke here, fellow musicians. And um, I guess I'd kind of like to uh, uh, highlight some of the, there's about six or eight uh, cities that I think were real influential in my travels that connect with Elvis. And so um, I'll, you know, if you need to, I need to switch back to you or go into that. Let me just pause a minute and put it back in, you know, in your court. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. And um, thanks for coming on the show and giving us a background. And we definitely want to learn more about those cities. But right now, we do have a call around the line in Rapid City, South Dakota, coincidentally, Sharon Brave. Sharon, hello. Good morning. Good morning, Sharon. I'm excited to hear your story about Elvis. Well, I'm excited to celebrate his life today also because it is a celebration uh, and a sad day, but I will go right to the point of June of 77. Thank God I'm still alive to talk about it. It was going into his, uh, down the hallway of the opening of Mount Re the Rushmore Plaza Civic Center, our first grand opening. For the for our auditorium, and I'll remember that for the uh, 
first and last day of my life because it was the most exciting uh, thing that ever happened to me as as a person going down the hall and with Mayor Art LaCroix and my daughter and me going into his dressing room. And Elvis Presley's dressing him. room. Yes, down at the Rushmore Plaza Civic Center, 1977, June. That was the night of his concert, the grand opening of the Rushmore Plaza Civic Center. So, Sharon, you met Elvis in person. Yes, sir, I did. And till this day, I remember it. Uh, till this day, I remember it like it was uh, a few days ago. You know, that's that's what I remember, and that's what I'll always remember. And my daughter was only 10. She didn't know who in the heck Elvis Presley was, but we dressed her in a full Indian regalia. And with Mayor Art LaCroix, he presented a plaque to him. And my gra- my daughter presented an eight-point eight point beaded medallion. And it's been in the paper a couple of times uh, during this 40-some years. But... Uh, the most serene and happy look on his face that I think I've ever seen on on Elvis Presley was that day. It was phenomenal the way he looked to see Monique there with the medallion and her full Indian regalia white buckskin outfit and me just I, I can't hardly tell you how I felt, but it was phenomenal. So your daughter gifted Elvis Presley a medallion. And as you recall, it was the, the most radiant, happy you've ever seen him look that when he received that medallion from your daughter. So, yeah, he looked so serene. I mean, the look on his face, the tense look he had before. And when this happened, the, ser- the serene look on his face looked like he was home. You know what I mean? I mean, that's how I looked at him. He, the relaxation and the serene look he had on his face, for that minute we got to be back there, or a few minutes, was just serene and he acted like he was at home lifted off of him or something uh-huh. it's just the feeling i had sharon thank you for calling in with that wonderful wonderful personal anecdote having met elvis in person in june of 1977 when the rushmore civic plaza just opened in rapid city south dakota and sadly that must have been just a couple of months before elvis's untimely passing let's go back to professor donovan sprague and donovan here there's a person there from rapid city who who met Elvis Presley, Sharon Brave, and um, you're talk more about some of the cities that he performed in. Do you remember that show, Rapid City, June 1977? Actually, I was living in Oklahoma at that time, but uh, Sharon, who called in, is a very dear friend of mine, a very beautiful person, her and uh, Monique. Uh, so uh, I've been, I met them as soon as I came to Rapid City, but actually, uh, was in South Dakota, and that's uh, kind of a long story, but I was living in uh, Durant, Oklahoma, working for the Choctaw Nation uh, of Oklahoma, and that's when I when I actually heard about the death of Elvis, and uh, I was in a really remote area, 30 miles from town, and I remember I came into this store, and 
we went on a break and uh, went over to the store, and here was a newspaper. That's how uh, behind I was with the news. But anyway, uh, here was the headline was that Elvis had died, and, you know, I was just like in in shock, and you remember, you know, where you were and what happened. And for some reason, everything just uh, left. All the sound in that room left, and my coworkers were talking and mingling around, and right there, uh, the song, Are You Lonesome Tonight, played. He played that song right in my mind. It was just like, you know, everything else was tuned out, and, and that's all I heard. But anyway, when uh, when I did come back uh, up to, uh, to South Dakota on a visit earlier, I had drove 1,100 miles straight through, and I uh, kind of like crashed out at my parents' house at Cheyenne River and again a newspaper comes to our door and I had I was laid on the news and here is the Rapid City Journal it it says tonight Elvis in concert you know wow the day of there's no way of getting tickets or anything like that and it was 150 miles away but anyway that uh that part Rapid City is one of my towns on my list here because of uh people like Sharon and the Elvis in Concert uh, two-LP set was recorded uh, live uh, at Rapid City and Omaha. And so those being some of the best recordings that they selected to release on RCA, and a lot of concert video is out um, that features Rapid City. In fact, I know, I just watched the movie last night, the new Elvis movie, and I know that Elvis um, in the Civic Center in Rapid City was part of the uh, clips in there because the, the seats are very unique, uh, kind of an orange color. And uh, so anyway, um, that was one of his last shows on, on June 20th. And then Indianapolis on June, I believe it was 26th, was the, his very last show. And then I, right out of high school, I moved to uh, to Texas, to Austin, Texas. So here's some significant towns in that kind of mixed in with Elvis. So I went to, I was working at a place called the Armadillo World Headquarters in Austin, Texas, a legendary concert hall. But way back um, in 1955, then I found that Elvis had played that. Uh, on his uh, first tour after, around the time period of Louisiana Hayride, got down through Central Texas, and he played. It was then called the Sports Center, and that's now tore down. So here I am. I was working at that place. I mean, 1955. That's some of his first, uh, you know, recordings and tour. And uh, of course, I was barely walking at that age, but. Um, that time period, and then he played the Skyline Club in Austin in 1955, also very early, and so I was in that club as well. Uh, both of those now tore down, um, and of course you can't, you know, say a city without mentioning Memphis. But I uh, will start out with Tupelo, his hometown. I've been, you know, to his hometown, Tupelo, Mississippi, and toured the town, and then of course Memphis. You have to go. I've been to Graceland several times, hung out on Beale Street, uh, Sun Records Studio. But you have to get a feel for this city 
and the music and the vibe, I think, to really understand Elvis, who did so much in breaking down barriers of in music and the norm. You know, the music that was before him was just, you know, totally different. He, he just, like, turned mm-hmm. the world upside down. And another one on there, of course, uh, Las Vegas with all the souvenirs there and Las Hollywood. Vegas. But I was also in uh, Wiesbaden, Germany. So there's a there's a whole uh, base of family and friends over there, and that is uh, Priscilla's, uh, where he met Priscilla from the U.S. Army and uh, her family. Donovan, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to to cut you off because we have to take a break now, but really interesting learning about all of your knowledge on Elvis Presley. Donovan Sprague, a history professor at Sheridan College. Folks, give us a call. We've got another Elvis tribute artist coming up after the break, as well as a caller. We're going to talk more with Donovan Sprague. 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're listening to Elvis experts and musicians talk about the man called the king of rock and roll. Still time to join our conversation. Tell us what you love or don't love about Elvis Presley. 1-800-996-2848, the number to call, or leave a comment on our Facebook page. We've got a caller right now, Manuel, listening in Oglala, South Dakota on Keeley. Manuel, you're on the air. Yeah, do you find the movie Stay Away Joe offensive or humorous? Stay Away Joe, thanks for calling. Uh, thanks for calling with that question there, Manuel. Stay Away Joe, that was a movie in which Elvis played a Navajo person, a Navajo rodeo cowboy, if I'm not mistaken. I want to go ahead and let Donovan respond to that. Um, Elvis, you know, he played a native in a couple of films. Um, and, and one of the criticisms of Elvis has been, cultural appropriation, uh, specifically with regard to, to, to African-American music that some people say he stole from the leading acts of the day, like Chuck Berry and James Brown and people like that. But also there's this element of him maybe pay, playing Native American characters um, that some people might not find cool at all. So Donovan, what are, what are your comments with regard to criticisms of Elvis Presley with regard to appropriation and specifically this movie if you've seen it uh, Stay Away Joe which Elvis played a Navajo rodeo cowboy yeah I I worked at a movie theater when I was a kid growing up and so I got to see all the Elvis movies twice you know and there was a whole line of you know the really uh, you know cheap kind of movies you know and, and real simple you know the plot and everything but but I do think uh, Stay Away Joe had a little more substance, you know, to it. And uh, and I didn't find it, you know, really uh, offensive at all uh, that time period. And so anyway, um, I I liked the, that they chose him to be an American Indian, you know. And just like, say, with the, the headdress or whatever that was, was gifted to him by a tribe, I mean, 
in modern history. We see that, you know, some things that have just happened, you know, but you didn't see Elvis wearing no headdress. I mean, he put that up. That was a, a gift, you know, and so he's pretty much a, a cowboy, you know, rancher type guy in that and and uh, is is standing up for the the American Indian, at least his his girl and, and him in the movie. Well, thanks for that insight there, Donovan. Like I said before break, we've got one more Elvis performer. We need to talk to you right now. He's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. His name is Michael Lomon, a.k.a. Indian Elvis, spelled N-D-N, of course. He's a tribute artist. He's Choctaw. Michael, welcome to the show. <laughs> All right. I'll give you a 10 for that intro there, Michael. Hey, I, under, I understand you performed a big show last night. Are, are you tired now? Are you okay to talk? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always ready, baby. That's, that's just what I do. <laughs> All right, Indian Elvis, it's great to have you on the line. So uh, tell us more about your story. You perform shows all over Oklahoma. You are Indian Elvis. When did you get started? Uh, you know what? When I was, uh, I was actually performing uh, in Vegas doing my Native American dancing. I, I do a fancy dance, a go dance, and a hoop dance. I play the flute, and uh, so it's taken me all over. So when I was younger, I was in Vegas, and uh, we went to this place called El Sarama. And uh, they, it was like, I think it was on Industrial Street, and uh, they had like a little museum, then you walk through, and then you see uh, Elvis impersonator, and you come through, and they have a souvenir shop, and then they had a little booth, like the, uh, uh, you go there, and, and you uh, you make a CD of yourself. And anyway, I, I saw I, I did a song, and then a manager came out, and he said, I thought that was uh, the radio playing, and so... And I, I did I did support the Pompadour back then, and the girl I was with she she was a white woman and um, and so they set us at this this booth and it was a heart shaped uh, velvet booth and they thought I, they thought she was Marilyn Monroe and they, and, and they they thought I was Elvis. They had these Asian people come up and keep on taking pictures of us and I didn't know why but now I know. But so that manager who said if you ever thought about doing it come back and see us and I'll put you to work and. Uh, so I started doing the fifties Elvis, and then later on, uh, I started appreciating more of the, you know, the concert. I do the seventy concho uh, suits, so I do that era. I still go back every once in a while and do the fifties, but I'm fifty-one years old, so I think the age might show a little bit on the uh, fit on you know trying to portray an eighteen-year-old. <laughs> so it all started for you at the Elvisorama. And you do it all, the 50s, Las Vegas era. And yeah, Elvis had some beautiful concho belts, uh, turquoise and silver that he would wear on stage. Um, but of them all, what do you think is your favorite era of Elvis, Michael? Well, you know, I, 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 would, I would probably do more of the 50s if I wasn't 50 in the 50s myself. But um, and I, like I said, I, I've, I've done some shows, you know, I do singograms. Um, where people will pay me like to come to the restaurant or their bar or their house or their place of employment, and I'll do it for like the moms, the aunts, the girlfriends, you know, birthdays, uh, anniversaries, 
and uh, you know I'll just, I'll just perform. And usually they want the fifties, and so they want usually like a love song, and then and then something to really get the crowd going. And so that's just on singergrams. Um, now I do do a little bit of the fifties, uh, like Teddy Bear, Don't Be Cruel, Heartbreak Hotel, Hound Dog. And the medleys that he has in the uh, 70s, I do those on stage. So, Well, that's really fascinating. And, and I want to ask you, because it sounds like you are busy. You're doing shows, you're doing birthday grams, making appearances. Is it financially lucrative to be an Elvis tribute performer? Well, it can be at some time. Sometimes gigs are too and far between. Um, I got a couple shows coming up next month on the 10th and 24th, and um, uh, I'm in talks of doing something in a couple, like in five days in Texas. And so, but I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be doing my fancy dance, my eagle dance, my hoop dance, my flute, and and then later on uh, doing an Elvis. So I'm gonna be a busy guy that day. Now, do you incorporate some of these native elements into your Elvis show then, with with the, the powwow dancing and whatnot? Well, one time, uh, there's there's a powwow here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> at the uh, at this maybe center, and I thought powwow would always have me come during her supper break and perform for that hour. So uh, Elvis actually performed there in, I can't remember what year, but uh, so I would perform there every... Uh, Every year at the annual powwow, they're on their, on their supper break, and I was going to go change into my fancy dance outfit so I'd come out and compete, and I didn't have time because I was, you know, talking to people, taking pictures, and I went there and I was like, oh, I'm not going to make it out in time for grand entry, and they said, just come out like that. <laughs> so I got a picture of me in my Elvis jumpsuit and at grand entry, uh, right behind the head staff. And I still Elvis at grand me. entry. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to take a look at that picture for sure, Michael. We've got another caller on the line, Norris in Oklahoma. Norris, hello, you're on the air. Hey, this is Norris. Uh, thank you for giving me a holler here. You bet, Norris. What's on your mind? Well, I know uh, uh, Indian Elvis, uh, Michael Oman. We've uh, put together a, a new uh, television show, which is going to be aired and uh, uh, set up episodes with, uh, it's going to be called Indian Elvis on the Res, which is a comedy uh, a variety talk show. And so we'll be, it'll be intertribal. And so we we finished our first uh, episode uh, May 10th, and we're working on our second one. And so we're planning that this being a, a kind of a, like a Saturday night live for the indigenous world. Well, that's really exciting. How can our listeners, where will we be able to watch this new TV show? Well, we're in the process of setting that up. But the uh, website we have is ElvisRes.com. Norris, thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Michael, that sounds really exciting. A television show, kind of a Saturday Night Live version of Indian Elvis. Um, how many of these shows do you have planned? Uh, as, many as, the, as many as we can put out. The thing is, you know, it, it started out as a showcasing the Native Americans, uh, the indigenous people around Oklahoma, 
and we're going to uh, interview him. Uh, and of course, as is in style of Elvis, you know. And at the beginning of the show, I'll sing a song. I just seem like a little less conversation, and then I'll do a little monologue. And then, uh, but you know, as as time's going on, we're changing more into a, a variety show. So we're going to do little skits and um, just make it funny, make it humorous. Uh, a lot of you know, with the movie Reservation Dogs coming out, a lot of people don't understand about the humor that we have. And uh, actually, Sterling Harjo, I'm going to give him a little shout out. You know, uh, when I was doing this thing back in Oklahoma, you know, gigs and performances were few and far between. And he had this thing where he uh, videoed me, and it was called, I can't remember what it's called now. Um, and they also had a, it was like a newspaper, but on video. So they did, a, they did an interview on me and a documentary, I should say as Indian Elvis. So he's the one actually started putting me on the map of uh, of my performances and my gigs to get me well-known. Like I said, I've been to Vegas, Corpus Christi, North Dakota, Bismarck, North Dakota, um, just all over to people's backyards, to people's kitchens and, you know, patios. It's just like I've been everywhere. Kitchens and patios, anywhere. There's an audience. You will find Indian Elvis, a.k.a. Michael Lohman. He's talking with us now from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Listeners, we have time for another call. Regina, listening in Porcupine, South Dakota, on Keeley. Regina, hello. Hello. Hi, Hi my, Regina. Uh, my Elvis, my Elvis starts, uh, my Elvis, how do you call it, uh, starts way back when I was a young teenager. But I've never, uh, I collected all his albums and, and so forth. But uh, we went to Anadarko, Oklahoma. And from there, we went to uh, Elk City, actually. And then from there, we went to Anadarko because there was a powwow going on. And it was one of these BIE sponsored, and it was huge. And uh, so we went to the powwow, and then an announcement was made that Elvis died. And uh, drum group did an honoring song for him. And everybody that was there stood up to honor Elvis. And later on, I asked the, one of the people that lived there uh, about the honoring. And he, uh, all he said was, you don't know how many of our young people that he sent to college. He paid the tuition and, and, uh, and sent them to college, paid everything for them. But see, that's one of the things that has never been brought out is, is not known about him, about how many people he had helped out uh, on his own without publicity and so forth. He, was one, he wasn't one of these people that stood on his little podium and with his hand in the air bragging about himself or nothing, you know. And plus, he is part indigenous. Uh, I can't remember what tribe his uh, mother was. But, yeah, so that's... Um, my story on Elvis, my friends and I, and our little, our children, we went to Anadarko, we were there. Regina, thank you for calling in with another beautiful, beautiful story about the late, great Elvis Presley, an honor song sang for him uh, back in 1977 when he passed, and then Elvis paying uh, tuition for Native college students. That's something 
totally new to me. I'd never heard that before. Let's go back to Indian Elvis, Michael uh, in Tulsa. And Michael, we're going to have to wrap up the show here in about another minute and a half. But but I want to ask you as well, you know, here it is almost 50 years since the king has passed away. And yet it seems like in some ways he is bigger than ever. That legacy just continues to grow and grow and grow. And and, and why is that? Even especially among Native people, the legacy just continues to grow. And um, what is it about it that makes Elvis so special? You know, it's just like uh, our indigenous people. We go back to our traditional ways. And Elvis, you know, he was the he was the traditionalist of all, you know, of all music. You know, he brought all this new stuff to to America, uh, to the to the public. A lot of people didn't like it, but man, he sure got people going. And so his legacy, you know, needs to be brought back, just like the humor, the uh, the faith, the culture of of not just our people, but our, of this the people of this earth. And I think with that, we just need to touch back into our roots, and he was part of that. And, you know, speaking of being him, uh, uh, being native, you know, uh, being from Mississippi, I always, I always tell everybody he was part Choctaw because I'm Choctaw myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis was Choctaw. Indian Elvis, have you seen the new movie that just came out? I saw the day before it came out, baby. They, uh, <laughs> my there's a local new, uh, theater called Circle Cinema here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they, they're really into doing a lot of things for Native American community. And they showcased the movie before it came out, and then they had me come out there and do some songs and uh, come out and I did the fifties Elvis that night, and so I got to you know open the show for them, and, and of course the news came in and did this thing on me, and so it was really great, and I, I really enjoyed that movie. Well, folks, people ask that question all the time: Is Elvis alive? And I think the answer to that question is absolutely, he's alive in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with Indian Elvis. He's alive in Australia with Len Connolly. He's alive up in Canada with Jerry Barnett. We've reached the end of our hour. To all of our guests, Jerry Barrett, Michael Lohman, Professor Donovan Sprague, and Len Connolly, thank you for a fabulous conversation and all of your efforts to keep the legacy of Elvis Presley alive and well among indigenous people. Join us on Native America Calling again tomorrow as we talk about current threats and triumphs to salmon populations in Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening. Support by the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian, presenting Ancestors Know Who We Are, a new online exhibition that features works by six contemporary black indigenous women artists. Joelle Joyner, Paige Pettibon, Moira Pernambuco, Monica Rickert-Bolter, Stormy Weber, and Rodslin Brown, addressing race, gender, multiracial identity, and intergenerational knowledge. More at AmericanIndian.si.edu. 
Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.